you doing? I didn't hear you. Alright, let's see if we can get this set up properly here. disclaimers. I move a lot. I will not stay stationary. It's just the way it is. I move. So just have to wander with me. Um, the other thing is I sometimes get loud. I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I guess I'm just passionate. I just kind of, I just get, I just get into it. So don't freak out. My voice will my inflection will change many times as we get going. Uh, third thing you should know about me, and I'm going to do my best to stay on track, is I am a rabbit trail follower. And I'll be talking on something, and something will click, or I'll some word, and I'll be like, ooh, but! So I'm going to do my best to stay on track this morning. Um, as we talk and continuing as a church going through the book of John, we're in John chapter 10. John chapter 10 is about the good shepherd. And so we're going to go with that. And we're going we're gonna to go through John 10, and then we're going to kind of take that into a look at a shepherd. And um, I think it's going to be really good. Um, the other thing that you should know about me and about you is that we all have biases. We all have a, a certain worldview which we view things. Why our politics are different, even in this room. I mean, there's probably so many different political views and opinions. There are also very many different theological views and opinions. Because we, we view things differently. Some of it's shaped by our background. Some of it's shaped by our experiences. Some of it's shaped by our study. Some of it's shaped by sheer revelation. But those things are different. I love it when I've heard people say, you know, I just want somebody to just preach me the un unbiased, undiluted word of God. And I always tell them there's no such thing. Because any vessel is going to have their own bias. We've taken bias to mean malicious. Bias isn't malicious. Bias is just how I see things. I fully believe what I'm going to say, and I believe I can back every word. Some people, there might be some things you're like, ooh, uh, different. That's fine. When we intersect those differences in our thoughts and in our theology, that's when we can go back and, and, and be the good boys and girls and go back and go, all right, what do you say makes sense? You don't have to believe anything I say today. Just listen, be open. Maybe Jesus will drop something in our hearts, something different, fresh, not new. Not We're not talking some new revelation, just something fresh. The other thing you will notice is um, I, I brought my small stack of Bibles today. I'm going to try to limit it to just a half a dozen. I love different translations. I have a translation that I use as, quote, my daily Bible. I use the English Standard Version. But I read out of multiple translations. I have physical copies of over 75 translations. I love translations. I love to read different translations. This goes back to the bias thing. Every translation 
those translators had a bias. They had a worldview. They had a theological view which which they were coming. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Doesn't mean it was malicious. It just means that's where they were coming from. So when we read a multitude of translations, we begin to see a broader picture. So instead of looking at the little drawing and going, oh, yeah, okay, I see that. Yeah, that's what they All of a sudden, we begin to step back and we begin to see the panoramic view. We begin to see the full. Even the translators and the people, the team that were putting together the 1611 King James Bible into English, they used this. Boy, this is I love my idea of my, 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 uh, my pulpit, but it's really low. I'm going to struggle here. Um, they said that a, uh, they quoted Augustine, St. Augustine, who said, A variety of translations is profitable for the finding out of the sense of the scripture. So I, I just recommend, you're going to hear different translations today, but I recommend read out of multiple translations. Don't get stuck in your whatever. Don't get stuck in the NIV ever. Sorry. Personal side note. <laughs> My bias, the NIV is the most awful translation. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't say that. Um, so we're going to go to John 10. I do not do PowerPoints, so there's <laughs> nice. Hey, look at that. Yes. So hopefully you brought your Bible, or if not, you have your smartphone and you can probably look it up. Because I don't, I don't do, I didn't do all that. So we're going to go with John 10. Um, for our base today, I'm going to read John 10 out of the Message translation. Now remember, last week, anybody remember what happened last week when we talked about in John chapter nine? Nobody. Blind man, right? Healed the blind man. The religious mafia was really upset because they didn't like Jesus. They brought his parents in and threatened to excommunicate his parents. Right? I love that story because, you know, then the blind, the guy that was healed gets a little snarky. Look, what do you want from me? I've told you again. Do you want to you follow him? Do you want to believe him? Here's what happened. I was blind. Now I see. I'm happy. Deal with it. Okay? So remember... Scripture wasn't written in chapters and verses. It was a story. So this is a continuation. So when we start this, this is coming right off the heels of that encounter then with the Pharisees when they were, you know, wanted to kill him again because they didn't like him. So let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen, instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good, a sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them, and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. Sounds about right. So he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. Sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. 
A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I come so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they've ever dreamed of. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself, sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired man is not a real shepherd. The sheep means nothing to him. He sees a wolf come and runs for it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered by the wolf. He's only in it for the money. The sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and my own sheep know me. In the same way, the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. You need to know that I have other sheep, and in addition to those in this pen, I need to gather and bring them as well. They also recognize my voice. Then it will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I laid down my life freely, and I am free to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own free will. I have the right to lay it down. I also have the right to take it up again. I received this authority personally from my father. This kind of talk caused another split in the Jewish ranks. A lot of them were saying, he's crazy, a maniac, out of his head completely. Why bother listening to him? But others weren't so sure. These aren't the words of a crazy man. Can a maniac open blind eyes? They were celebrating Hanukkah this just then in Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was strolling in the temple across Solomon's porch. The Jews, circling him, said, How long are you going to keep us guessing? If you're the Messiah, tell us straight out. Jesus answered, I told you, but you don't believe. Everything I've done has been authorized by my Father, actions that speak louder than words. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep recognize my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them real and eternal life. They are protected from the destroyer for good. No one can steal them from out of my hand. The Father who put them under my care is so much greater than the destroyer and thief. No one could ever get them away from me. I and the Father are one heart and one mind. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to throw at him. Jesus said, I have made a present to you from the Father of all great many good actions. For which of these acts do you stone me? The Jews said, we're not stoning you for any good you did, but for what you said. Blasphemy of calling yourself God. Jesus said, I'm only quoting yours. I love it. I, I, Jesus is great. We just think of Jesus as just this not, he's, he's got a little snark to him. A little, little, and I, I can appreciate that. I'm only quoting your, I mean, we, we think the scriptures are inspired by God, right? But he's throwing it at them because they, <laughs> some like, okay, we'll get to this. some like in the modern church today, you know, it's the, the Holy Trinity's Father, Son, and Holy Bible. This is the inspired word of God, but you understand this is just a book. Scripture itself speaks very clearly that the word of God is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word, the living word. This book is great, and I can learn a lot of things. And I, I mean, I've got all these, I love this book. But it's a, it, it helps me to understand the person. If someone wrote a book about my wife, I could read it all day long. And say, oh, I know her. But it means nothing unless I really know her. If I replace a book for the person, I've missed the boat completely. Sorry. Where were we? I'm only quoting your inspired scriptures. Where God said, I tell you, you are God's. 
If God called your ancestors gods and scripture doesn't lie, why do you yell blasphemer, blasphemer at the unique one the Father consecrated and sent into the world just because I said I am the Son of God? If I don't do the things my Father does, well and good, don't believe me. But if I am doing them, put aside for a moment what you hear me say about myself and just take the evidence of the actions that are right before your eyes. Then perhaps things will come together for you and you'll see not only that we are doing the same things, we are the same. Father and Son, he in me, I in him. They tried yet again to arrest him, but he slipped through their fingers. He went back across the Jordan to the place where John first baptized and stayed there. A lot of people followed him over. They were saying, John did no miracles, but everything he said about this man has come true. Many believed him then and there. All right. So, long passage of scripture. Just reading the whole thing. I want to highlight a couple things. first couple verses John chapter 10 this is the passion translation first three verses as Jesus said to the Pharisees listen to this eternal truth the person who sneaks over the wall to enter into the sheep pen rather than coming through the gate reveals himself as a thief coming to steal but the true shepherd walks right up to the gate and because the gatekeeper knows who he is he opens the gate to let him in have this idea that Jesus is this sneaky little character. And we've kind of, this, this passage draws this distinction between the thief and the true shepherd, right? Unfortunately, there's one passage of scripture where Jesus is referred to as a thief, right? But he's not really referred to as a thief. The writer says, that starts speaking of the second coming, says, and Jesus will return as a thief in the night, right? Everybody remember that first? Unfortunately, we've made a theology out of that. That Jesus is somehow sneaking around, checking up on us. We don't ever know when he's going to show up. He's looking over our shoulder. He's like Santa Claus. He knows when he's in good and bad, right? Because for many, the God of our church, the God of our mind, is really nothing more than Zeus. It's a God of retribution and a God who has the scales and he's weighing the good and the bad that we do. And he's sneaking up, he's, he's checking on us. Friends, can I tell you that there is nothing good about that? And if he's the good shepherd and he's a good God, then there's a miss in there somewhere. Maybe our thinking has been off. When the writer says he's coming as a thief in the night, it wasn't in reference to that he's sneaking up on us. He simply, the point, if you will read the context, is that, listen, nobody knows when he's coming. Because the point is, you don't need to focus on the second coming. That's not to be a theological point. Don't worry about it. Death or the second coming is not your salvation. 
Jesus is. So many people are worried about they're going to get to heaven or they want the second coming. Well, they're just waiting for that day so they can go to the by and by the I'm just struggling. I'm just trying to get through so I can get to heaven. Man, guys, Jesus said heaven is here. If I don't experience heaven here, I don't know what I'm going to get there. Jesus is not. He just said, look, don't worry about this. Don't, you don't know the time. You don't know the date. I'm coming. It's, it's going to be a support. Don't worry about it. Because my sheep know my voice. So when I come, they're coming. Don't worry about it. Verses 8 through 13. All those who broke in before me are thieves who came to steal, but the sheep never listened to them. I am the gateway. To enter through me is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have only one thing in oh, excuse me, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you can expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. I am the good shepherd who lays down my life as a sacrifice for the sheep. But the worker who serves only for wages is not the real shepherd because he has no heart for the sheep. He will run away and abandon them when he sees the wolf coming. And then the wolf mauls the sheep, drags them off, and scatters them. I alone am the good shepherd. as well out of the J.B. Phillips translation. So Jesus said to them once more, I do assure you that I myself am the door for the sheep. All who have gone before me are like thieves and rogues, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If a man goes in through me, he will be safe and sound. He can come in and out and find his food. Take note of that. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I have come to bring them life in its fullness. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sake of the sheep. But the hired man who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep will see the wolf coming, desert the sheep, and run away. And the wolf will attack the flock and send them flying. The hired man runs away because he is only a hired man and has no interest in the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know those who are mine, and my sheep know me. Does anybody here work in the banking industry? I had never had, but I've learned this trick. I heard this, heard this. That when they, even a teller or anybody, when, they're, when they teach somebody, you know how they teach somebody to spot counterfeit money? Study real money. You know when they're trying to get them to recognize counterfeit money, they never until they never see counterfeit money. They become so familiar with what is real that the counterfeit jumps at them. We don't have to worry about all the... All we need to do is just know him. And everything else, just, we, we pop at those things. We're, oh, that's, it's about the intimacy of knowing him so much. Now, Sorry, I've got my phone up there for sure, and it's got one of my Bible translations that's um, Chinese. But anyway, we'll, we'll get by without it. We'll probably 
never get done anyway. <clears throat> Probably missing some really good stuff with that other translation. Um, all right, jump down to verse 27. My own sheep will hear my voice, and I know each one, and they will follow me. Have you noticed a theme here? I give to them the gift of eternal life, and they will never be lost. Everybody say that. Never be lost. And no one has the power to snatch them out of my hand. Who? How many? Interesting. My father, who has given them to me as his gift, is the mightiest of all. And no one has the power to snatch them from my father's care. The Father and I are one. The Weymouth translation from verse 29 says, What my Father has given me is more precious than all besides, and no one is able to wrest anything from my Father's hand. So many times we live our Christian life, again, like we're waiting for Christmas morning and we're waiting for Santa Claus, and we're, we're wait, we're, we live our own lives with this balance scale of the good and the you know, try to raise the bad so we can stay on God's side. Now, none of us really want to think that's what we do, but I would dare say that we've all at least been there. I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor. I, I went to bed every night as a kid and prayed, you know, Father, forgive me for all the sins I did today. I don't even know what I did, but, you know, I'm just covering my bases. Because I was scared. I mean, if I died at night and I didn't ask for forgiveness, what, what's going to happen to me? I mean, no offense, but what a horrible, horrible way to live. Because I wasn't in love with Jesus. I didn't even know Jesus. I was afraid. I was afraid of hell. I was afraid of what was going to happen to me. <laughs> Represents. Can I throw a phrase at you? Just relax. I'll explain it. You don't even have to believe me. Just listen. We do. We, we can all agree that even within, the, I use the Bible, but there is an old covenant, right, that God had with Israel, right? And then there's a new covenant. Not the New Testament. So let me say the new, the old, Matthew, Luke, and John, the Gospels, are actually Old Covenant. They're bridge, because Jesus was the bridge. So during those, he was still, that's why he said, I have to come to fulfill all righteousness. He was still operating under the Old Covenant, but he was ushering in the new, which was brought in by his death, burial, resurrection. Okay? There's two covenants. can't be under both. You lost my train of thought. That's what happens in your rabbit trail sometimes. We have this idea that God, God is, is, is this weighing, this balance. And it's just not the case. 
my rabbit trail. Don't be offended. I was trying to, I was trying to prep you for my offense. I make this statement once in a while. I'm going to say it right now. I don't fear God anymore. But, 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 but the Bible says, but the Bible says, but the Bible says. You're right, the Bible does say. Can I tell you a couple other things the Bible says? David said, it was actually a messianic psalm. Jesus quoted it, but that's a whole other rabbit trail that we're not going to get to. In Psalm 24, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, wait a minute. Didn't God himself say, I will never leave you or forsake you? Well, which is right. David, who in that moment said it, or God? Who are we going to believe? What is in the Bible? Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that it is true. It means that it happened. It means that it's fact. Jesus identified as us. That's part of his humanity, the incarnation. He has been taken the full account so that he can in every way be as we are. He experienced our Failure. He's experienced our doubt, our questioning. But that's not the truth. So the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, especially Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, all these things, right? Before I really knew who God was, and before I really understood the cross, and before I really understood what Jesus had done, I was afraid of God. I was afraid of his judgment. I was afraid of what he was going to do. So the fear of the Lord is the, what? Beginning of wisdom. It's not the middle or the end. Maybe it's time to move past the beginning. Because once I understand Jesus, once I understand the cross, once I understand that Jesus said, at this point it is finished, that I don't have to fear anymore. I can prove it. 1 John chapter 4, he says, there is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear. There is how much fear? Well, what about the fear of God? No, no. What is no? I mean, is it no? Or is it, well, but? You say, well, no, but I mean, the fear of God, it's, it's, it's about reverence. Um, open your strong, open your strong concordance. The Greek word for fear is phobios. Where, we, where do you think we get our English word for that from? Phobia, fear. There is no fear in love because perfect love, who's perfect love? He's a person. Casts out all fear. What's left out of all? Casts out all fear because fear has to do with, anybody know the rest of that verse? Punishment. So when we have a scaled mindset, when we have a punishment mindset, we're living in fear. When Jesus came to eradicate the lie of fear.
Okay. Alright. We're going to get deeper. And I'm going to run out of time. gift. I don't care about the destroyer. I don't care about the usurpers. Nobody can remove them from my hand, from his hand, from our hand. Oh, but, 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 I mean, there's a great falling away going to happen. Psalm chapter 2, right? Kings mock, all these things, but he who sits in heavens laughs, right? And I've given my son, and I said, ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. For God so loved the Christians, for God so loved the ones who say a magic prayer, For God so loved the cosmos. That's the Greek word. The world. Second Corinthians. God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself. Not anything you did. Not anything I did. It's all him. Well, but, but, I mean, but, uh, but I mean, I've got to... I've gotta, You're right, you got to participate. you got to believe. It's not about some magic prayer. It's not about doing anything. I know many people that have gotten saved that never said a prayer. All of a sudden, they're walking along one day, and they've been following Jesus or, or hearing about Jesus or being friends with Jesus followers, and then all of a sudden, they're like, I mean, yeah, I believe this stuff, and they're all of a sudden, they're walking in it. But did you say the prayer? I'm not saying the prayer is bad. You want to say a prayer? You want to lead people in a prayer? That's great. I'm just saying the prayer is not our access point. Jesus is our access point. He is the gate, right? And we're his. Okay? And nothing can wrestle us from his grip. We're not even capable of getting ourselves out of his hand hand. Take that and smoke it in your pipe. Romans 8. Sorry, grab a chair, but here we go. Romans 8. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is intending for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No! But in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I mean, folks, that's the gospel. That ought to get us excited. No, but I mean, man, I, I did some bad things this week. Okay. I got three kids. Two of them are here today. I got a bigger kid here. I got a little kid back there. Guess what? As much as I might like to say it, that they are, they're not perfect. <laughs> Looking at you. No. <laughs> they have made choices on their own that I did not think were the best choices. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In all of those bad choices, and some of those bad choices have consequences. Understand that sin itself has been dealt with by Jesus. Sin is no longer your problem. Romans 6. If I go to Romans 6, we'll be here for hours. Read it yourself. Romans 6, death certificate, sin is no longer an issue. You are free from sin. It's, you've been, we're, there's not good and bad in us. There's not, you know, halo angel and horn angel, demon, whatever, you know, on his shoulder. No, 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 no. Jesus lives inside of us. In fact, the whole point of the cross, Jesus, incarnation, there were, and he, when he resurrected, notice that he didn't, it doesn't say he lost his humanity. Jesus forever entered into humanity, and when he ascended, he assured us that there is a part of humanity that will always be in the Trinity. John writes in 1 John, says, I'm writing these things so that you do not sin. wasn't well, a dumb thing for a guy to write if it didn't think it was possible. So all of a sudden we think that we sin. I mean, and we do sometimes. I mean, we, we do fail. We still, we still trip and fall sometimes. But understand this. Un before, I was a sinner. Oh. Okay. I was a sinner. Then I found Jesus. I'm no longer a sinner. My mom, bless her heart, love her to death. If there's one thing my mom and I always get into little spats about, we get home and I'm talking, is she, you know, she uses this phrase, well, you know, you're saved by grace. I despise that thing. I absolutely detest it. Well, just a sinner saved by grace. Well, I mean, if you take that sentence, and I'm by no means, again, that's my wife, no, no, by no means a grammar person. But um, I know enough to know that that sentence, what is the, the subject, the noun, what's the main point of that sentence? Sinner. So every time you say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, you're emphasizing the fact that you're a sinner, which is disrespectful to the blood of Jesus. You're no longer a sinner. Because you're a king. You're a king. You're a priest. Yeah, I'm a sinner. 
Well, but I mean, sometimes when I do, okay, before I was a sinner, and I could do some good things sometimes, but sin was kind of my, my thing. But on the cross, and I had that blood infusion, I had a change of DNA. I was brought back to my original place of being a saint, a child. Then sin became the foreign thing to me. I am righteous. Do I have the ability to sin? Absolutely. But it's not my nature anymore. It's not who I am. And it's not who I want to be. Now, does sin still have consequences in the physical? Yes, it's called sowing and reaping. And a lot of times we've taken the reaping from our sowing and we put it as judgment of God. And it's not the case. John chapter 5, we did this a few weeks ago. John chapter 5, the Father, Jesus speaking, has given me, the Father judges no one, but has given me all judgment. And Jesus then says, I judge no one. Because the cross was the judgment. It was the judgment against sin. sounded really bad as that came out of my mouth. I meant I don't have time for all of this. Not like I don't have time for this. Um, in the passage in John 10, depending on the translation you read, four to six times in that passage, he references himself as the good shepherd. Anytime you see a repeat of a word in scripture, it's just a point of emphasis. Good, good, good. He's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's good. He's good. I, you know, some of your liturgical, liturgical churches, some of your, you know, non-denominational churches, they, you know, they come in, pastor, get up. God is good all the time and all the time, right? It's fun, silly, whatever. But you know what? If you say it enough and it gets in our head, it's good. Because we need to come to the revelation that God is good. It's not something that he does. He is. He can't be anything but good. We sang a little bit this morning about the glory, right? We A lot of songs talk about the glory, right? We want to talk about the glory. We want to be in the glory. Let the glory come. All these things, right? I'll give you a secret. Exodus chapter 33. Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, okay, what I'll do? I'll make you a clay. clay. I will let my, anybody know? Goodness. God's glory is his goodness. It is his overarching favor over our lives. Now let's talk about the shepherd just for a couple minutes. Okay? I'm a shepherd. If I'm to talk, if we look at scripture and we think about a shepherd, where's our mind go to? What's the most famous shepherd in the Bible? Outside of Jesus. Shepherd boy David. David was king, right? David was a good king. David wasn't the first king. David wasn't, I mean, Solomon was arrayed in beauty and glory because Solomon got to build the temple because David had blood on his hands because he was a, a, a king of war, right? David didn't come from a, a lineage of royalty. He, he was just Jesse's boy, right? 
and he tended the sheep. But there's this phrase. He said, oh, also, well, just as a side note, as we get through this, um, shepherd, if you, if you look that up, Greek, Hebrew, it can also be translated father. So again, just as we're going through all this, understand the shepherd, the father of the sheep, that's, those are synonymous terms. So David wasn't picked as a king. He wasn't from the lineage of royalty, any of that stuff. But one of the things that we know is that he was a man after God's own heart, right? We know that phrase? 1 Samuel 13, 14. But now your kingdom, speaking to Saul, King Saul, shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept the Lord's commandment. And then in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, they're talking, he says, And when he had removed him, meaning Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified, meaning God testified, and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my own heart who will do my will. Anybody ever been in a prayer meeting or been in a service or heard a sermon about being a man after God's own heart? Right. My guess is that most of the time, if not all the time, when we've heard that, it's been about us pursuing God, going after God, being a man or a person after God's own heart, right? A few years ago, there's a guy who wrote a book called The God Chasers. Anybody remember that? Chase God. Ooh. Let me tell you something. If God don't want to be found, you ain't finding him. There is no chasing God. The only time that you get to play chase with God is in the family room, which we should also view the courts rooms of God <laughs> less like courtrooms and more like family rooms. The only time you get to play hide and seek or pursue God, chase God, is like when when a dad and they've got the little boy, and they want to play tag. And they can, you know, they stick their arm out. You know, or the little kid runs at you. Because you're just faster, you're bigger, you're smarter. They come, they try to chase you, and you, whoop, miss me, ah, miss me. I'm, I'm trying to chase God, I'm trying to chase Daddy. You only catch him when he lets you. Because you don't have the power to catch him. But what happens? I know some, I know you dads know this. But all of a sudden, you're, whoop, whoop, miss me. Oh, miss me. And then all of a sudden he runs by and you, boom, you scoop him up. Gotcha. Friends, there's nothing to chasing God unless you're just playing and you're having fun. You've been chased down. You've been chased down by God. He's grabbed you. He's curled you up and brought you into his own. This idea we got to pursue God. We've got to go after him. Can I propose to you that it means a lot less like, oh, I've got to read my Bible more. I've got to pray more. i got to serve more. Are any of those things wrong or bad? Not at all. But they're not on our duty list to gain God's approval. Having a heart after God isn't about pursuing him and doing things. Can I propose to you that what that actually would look like is when the Bible says he has a man after my own heart, that it means he had a heart like mine? Not so sure? Okay. So the um, Greek word after, have a heart after, it says with which it is joined according to 
after the manner of. Hmm, interesting. Heart, specifically cardia, but it, it, in the Greek it means thoughts and feelings. So literally, when that phrase says he was a man after God's own heart, it literally can be translated that David was someone who was joined according to and after the manner of the thoughts and feelings of God. They take it for what it's worth, but I don't know. I no longer propose it. I would tell you that when that phrase says he is a man after God's own heart, it meant that he had a heart like mine. So what does that mean? He cared for the sheep. He tended the sheep. He was. He had other giving love for the sheep. He was selfless. He risked his own life for the sheep, right? I was going to use it a whole lot more, and I ran out of time. <laughs> okay? Carried a staff, right? Staff could herd the sheep. Got to be careful with that. I get in trouble when I get home. <clears throat> could herd the sheep. Could also cut through brush so the sheep could get to where they go, right? Also very useful to take out the attackers of the sheep, right? Wolves, lions and tigers and bears, right? Even before we get to the whole Goliath thing, David was still just a shepherd boy. And he's just going to take his brother some food, his dad said. And other than being an Israelite by birth, okay, being, being that his nation, he had no calling, he was not king yet, he, he had no pedigree, had no reputation, had nothing at stake. And he goes to the battlefield to give his brother some food, and he hears this, this monster taunting God and God's people. And he's like, why, why aren't we doing something about this? Why are we letting this go on? Because his care wasn't about him. His care was about, hey, this is, we are God's people. We are his sheep. We are his flock. Why, why are we allowing something like this to take place? So he goes to Saul, and you know the whole story. I'm not going to go through that. Okay? I'm going to start to close. Um, no, I'm So when we think, when we look for a record of, 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 of a shepherd in Scripture, we go to David, and everybody knows where we're going to go with this. David wrote the shepherding psalm, right? Psalm 23. Probably, many of you probably know it by heart. Probably can quote it in some translation. But it gives us an idea of what a shepherd is, what a shepherd looks like. What a good shepherd does by laying down. You know, even in John 10, remember Jesus said, Ellie, I'm in well control of my own life. Nobody takes it from me. I freely give it. And then I can raise it back up. It's mine. So, Psalm 23. And I'm going to fast track this just the way it is, because this is what always happens. The best part of the sermon is always in my notes at the end, and I never get to it. I should start from the end sometime. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of mine enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall not want, literally means to lack or to fail. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. He makes, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. That word down, to lie down, it means to recline or to rest. Pastures, it's a habitation, house, home, a pleasant place. That's what the Hebrew means. I love this word. Lead, he leads me beside the still waters. The word, the first definition in Hebrew for that word lead is to run with a sparkle. Jesus is a sparkler. <laughs> yep. To run with a sparkle. I mean, if that doesn't get you going and just think that, that Jesus isn't fun, then come on. And also, that same word means to protect and to sustain. Beside the still waters, the peaceful, comfortable waters. And the word waters, interestingly enough, when you look that up in the Hebrew, doesn't mean water. It literally means juice. Now there's a rabbit trail that won't go down. The old, I don't know if any of you ever participated in an actual Passover, Jewish Passover. If you've ever read anything about the feasts and all that kind of stuff. Um, the Jewish people liked wine. Not the juice that we had, not Welch. He hadn't, uh, he hadn't destroyed communion yet. But they really liked their wine. Jesus even took it to the point that when he was talking about the new covenant, he said, this is my blood. And he used wine. He used an intoxicant to describe the result of the new covenant. He restores my soul. Restore means to turn back, to bring back, to convert, to deliver, to fetch home again, or to get oneself back again. Anybody remember Jesus one time telling a parable about a shepherd? Had a hundred sheep. Ninety-nine were doing really well. They were staying in the fold. He was keeping them intact. But one of them strayed. Maybe, we don't know, maybe he strayed on his own. Maybe he was tricked. Maybe maybe a wolf set a trap. We don't know. But we know that one of the sheep got away. And he had 99. I mean, you know, most of us would take those out. I mean, 99%, that's pretty good. Right? But he makes sure the 99 are in a good place. And then he leaves the 99 to go after the one. Always bringing that one back home. Back home. 
friends. I don't know where you are. I don't know where your family is. I don't know where your friends are. But I can assure you that the shepherd is always working to bring us back home. To walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Friends, Jesus has made the way. He has defeated, right, death, hell, and the grave. The only thing that is our battle, now he's defeated. He he roams around as a lion, not a biting lion, a roaring lion. All he's got is he makes noise. All he does is project shadows. He has no power. Greater is he who is, I mean, there's nothing there. There, I, my, my, my days of spiritual warfare ended about 10 years ago when I began to grasp some of this stuff. I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying, like, I came into a revelation that it's done. It's complete. And I quit shadow boxing the devil. Now, I mean no disrespect, because sometimes when you're out, a shadow can look really real. Right? Shadows can, can seem scary. But I want you to understand that we need to come to the place where we recognize that the shadow isn't reality. It's just a shadow. Fear is a liar. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They bring me peace of mind. Because I know that I don't have to watch for myself because you are watching for me. And then you prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. What it actually means in the Hebrew is he says, you prepare a table against my enemies. So whatever you're walking through, whatever trials you may think are around, whatever battles are there, maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's just hard times. I mean, it could be a million things that we go through because life is still life. And sometimes we go, oh, my God, I'm, I'm weary. I'm tired. I don't know what to do. I'm struggling. I'm, I, I'm just, I'm beat down. I don't know what to do. Maybe I'm struggling within myself. Maybe I'm fighting my own self. Maybe it's because of something that's, you know, a friend or a loved one. Maybe it's a child who's strayed and is not serving God. We grieve over it. And even though we can rest in the assurance that he's constantly working them back, it still hurts. It still grieves us. We may be going through all sorts of things. Maybe it's physical ailments in our own body. And those are enemies. Let me tell you something. Physical ailments are enemies. Because the word, when Jesus said he came to save, that word Zoe in, in the Old Testament, it means not only just our spiritual salvation, salvation, it's not just spiritual, it's physical, mental, by stripes we've been healed, right? All those things are enemies. And so when we're walking through that valley of the non-realities of death, because death has been swallowed up, but they're real to us because our perception is our reality. So when we're walking through that shadow, those valley of deception, when the enemy appears to be all around us, the 
the good shepherd doesn't just escort us away and protect us. He says, oh, we're in the valley. Yeah, the shadows are all around. Let me show you a trick. In the midst of that, I'm going to lay a spread. And that spread is for not only your sustenance, but it is for your rejuvenation. It is for your health. It is for your wholeness. It is for your restoration. He restores my soul. And I'm going to do it, not just in the privacy of your own, you know, sheep pen. I'm not going to just do it over there. I'm going to do it in the presence. I'm going to do it as an affront against the enemy. I don't know. Nobody. I know y'all tired. I'm sorry. But that's good stuff. That's good stuff. table is always in the Old Testament, the New Testament, it doesn't matter. The table is always in reference to communion. Lord's table. And I understand that when the Lord Jesus gave the disciples the bread and the wine that we know he took the bread and he gave it to them and he took the wine. And so, and that's what we get in our church services from the early days of Catholicism. You know, a wafer and the wine the bread and the grape juice. Don't get me started on Mr. Welch and destroying communion. There's a reason that wine was used. There's a reason that it should be an intoxicant because it is something that's supposed to overtake us. Not in the form of drunkenness, but in the form of godly inebriation, that thing where God all consumes us. Okay, side note. There is always the place when we come to the table. And he says, okay, just take this. But understand that was at the end of their meal, right? In the New Testament, we know that when the early church had communion, they didn't just come up and take a, a bread and a dip. It was part of a meal. Right? Paul even had to scold them one time. Right? In Corinthians. Because he's like, listen, this is communion, and you guys over here, the rich ones, you guys are getting drunk because you got all this food, but the poor people don't have enough for the, for, the, for the wine, for the buffet, for communion, and they're being left out. And I love what he says. He wasn't getting on him for being drunk. He, the scripture, you can look it up. Scripture actually says, Paul, writing to the church, of course, he says, you have some members getting drunk while others are, don't have anything. You have some, you are getting drunk when you have your own homes for that. That's literally what it says in your Bible. You want to get trashed? Do it at home. But the table is a representation of what Jesus has set before us. And it is about other giving low. It is about a shared table. It is about where we come and we not only participate in the feast that was laid before us, but it is also that we share in community with one another. Because friends, there is health, there is restoration, and there is life I know you're tired. Stand up for me. So many good things we didn't get to do. It's a shame. Anybody, everybody heard the term agape love, right? And that's the kind of love that God has. The word agape, uh, 
two, two Greek words that were put together, ago, which means to lead as a shepherd leads his sheep, and pow, which means rest. So literally, when the Bible refers to God as a God of love, that agape love, it literally means that it is his love leading us to the place of rest. And friends, when you're at rest, the world could be going to hell beside you. But when you're in that place, and when you're, we're just, you're in that presence, you're in that place, I mean, hell could be breaking loose, and you're just... You can just physically, like we're going to do now, or you can just even in your own mind. I mean, I can I can sit at the table at any moment of my day. Close my eyes. I dwell on some scriptures. I take some of the table, take it in, and I let it bring healing and peace and restoration to my soul. communion for everybody. We're going to do it family style. What I want you to do is you're going to come up and there's there's the traditional what we have, you know, the bread, the gluten-free bread. There's also bread and there's grapes, there's fruit, there's cheese. It's all an open table this morning. You want to take communion by dipping a cheese square in a piece of banana? I don't care. Share it with your family and your friends. And then what we're going to do in a few minutes, we're just going to put the music, worship is not going to come up. We're going to put on some music. Everybody just to come and enjoy the table. Do what you do. And then what we're going to do, and I'll, we'll cue this so just so that everybody has an idea. We don't want to, you know, but then after we have communion, then I want you to pair up with somebody that's not your spouse, not your kid. We're just going to pray for them. We're going to just do a little one-on-one -on -one prayer. Ask them if they need prayer for anything. If they don't, then just pray a blessing over them. Because there's healing at the table and through community. Now, as we get to that point, I want you to close your eyes for me. How many have ever, before you close your eyes, how many have ever received a gift? A couple of you. Some of y'all get some gifts going. So if I offer you a gift, what do you have to do to receive it? You gotta put your hand out, right? Because I mean, if I have, I've got my plates, but if I, uh, Whatever. If I have something and her, she's like this, and I do this, and I do it, she, she doesn't get anything out of it. So it's just a possibility.